Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, February 16, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID number for Friday, February 14th, is 5920. That's 5920. This morning, A Vision for You presents How the First 100 Recovered. The basic text, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is most often just called the big book, was first published in 1939 by those who had recovered. It was based upon a decision to tell other alcoholics the good news. There was a way out. There was a road to freedom. It was the product of thousands of hours of discussion. Inscribed in it was the essence of their experience. It truly represented the collective voice, heart, and conscience of those who pioneered the first four years of Alcoholics Anonymous. The forward to the first edition states the main purpose of the book, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. In order to really understand the big book, how it works, how it can transform our lives, and how to use it as a step-by-step program for recovery, we need to look at some of the history behind it. Here to speak with us this morning on how the first 100 recovered is Marcella. Marcella is a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts, who is dedicated to working with other compulsive overeaters, sharing her experience, strength, and hope, and carrying the message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Marcella. Star one to unmute. Morning. Um, Good morning, a vision for you. Uh, my name is Marcella. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I just cannot believe how happy, joyous, and free I feel this morning in your company. I had my last binge, what I hope, what I really hope will be my last binge, on February the 22nd of 2011. So if everything goes well, it seems like I'd be three years old in a few days. Um, even though I joined the way in 1980-something, um, this is by far the longest, happiest, the easiest period of abstinence I've ever had. And it is, in in its essence and the way that I experience it, is so different that I don't even call it abstinence anymore. Now I call myself recovered, mainly because my many obsessions related to food are not here to bother me anymore so they really as we have heard many times in the meeting they have been lifted for real before recovery not only would I spend my life counting grams of fat counting grams of carbs or calories or points or trying to follow whatever the diet I was trying to follow I would also be horrified by mirrors and and cameras and if I get my hands in any picture that had my image on it I just would destroy it. 
um, because I was um, horrified is a, is a word. I was terrified of my looks. It, I would never look right. Um, I just never liked it. I was never the right size. I just, it was never, never fine with me. And that kind of obsession has been removed too. And today, it still is kind of new to me, but it's still kind of, I get a giggle and, and I get amazed because if you um, want to take my picture, I'll just say, go for it. I never say, oh, wait, 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 my hair was crooked. No, nothing. And I'm not afraid of mirrors anymore. Um, actually, that comes very handy because I just married an artist who's constantly taking pictures of me and, and painting portraits of me and likes to include my image in his work. So just in time. I'm five feet four, and in my adult life, um, I weigh 200 pounds, and my lowest has been 79 pounds. When I was 200 pounds heavy, I thought that I was still sort of normal, and when I was 79 pounds starving, I wanted to lose four more pounds because 70 pounds is more like a number that appealed to me than 79 so I have been diagnosed with a whole range of eating disorders. In my attempt to control my weight, I started drinking heavily because I realized that if I drank enough white wine, I was not hungry. And for many, many years, I would much rather be a little tipsy, a little drunk than fat, and I managed to do that. In, late, in the late 80s, I discovered amphetamines, and I started mixing them with alcohol and started having psychotic episodes induced by substance abuse. But I still thought that I didn't have any trouble. I still, I still was okay because, my, because I was still skeleton and I could fit in a size six. That's how crazy my mind was. I would rather be disabled and skinny than, than overweight. This morning, I weighed uh, 130 pounds. And this has been my weight for a long time now, years. And as good as it sounds, that's not the good news. The good news is that I've never been happier and that right now I'm not hungry and I'm not afraid of being hungry. So whether you are new to us or new to the big book or new to the process of the big book, or like me, you have been in a way for years and years and years with very, very limited success, it is my intention and my prayer that I'll manage to tell you exactly what I did. What I did and what I keep doing is to follow a very simple program that is really, really simple. I'm going to say it again because that's the honest truth. In my experience, this is a very simple, simple program, and it works. I think it's fair to say that uh, the history of AA is now commonplace, at least in the United States. Everybody knows a little about Alcoholics Anonymous and, and Bill W. and Dr. Bob. Like if you make a contest of trivia, pretty much everybody knows who are the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous and a little bit because it has per, our, our experience has permeated the media and movies and novels and all of that. So the book that Leah was referring to describes the experience of the first 100 people and a woman. I just learned that in a retreat that I was. It was 100 men and one woman who were recovered, and that is what we read. That's what we, that's what we tried. That's what we read and read and reread 
and study every morning at a vision for you. When are we going to get bored of this book? Never. Like hopefully 15 and 20 and 40 years from now, we'll log into a vision for you and we'll start. What are we reading? Again, the same one, 64 pages. And we'll never get bored because when this book comes alive, it takes a different shape and a different experience every single time. Um, this book has been translated to 47 languages, and, and um, I read it in French and in Spanish, and the languages on the back, the stories on the back are different. So in Spanish, in one of the Spanish edition, editions, the, the stories happen in Spain and in Mexico City and in Argentina. And, um, and um, so, so each language matches the experience of the people that live there. So as we're recovering and spreading the good news, we are writing history for the future as well. So this book, it's been applied to arrest all addictions known to mankind. People with all kinds of afflictions use it to recover. Um, people who smoke use it, people who drink, people who take drugs, people who shop when they don't have any money, people who gamble, people who sex where they shouldn't be sexing. Um, name the addiction, and this book has been applied to solve that particular problem. We are not that exceptional and not that different. So that's why it works for us too. So um, I think it was last week or the week before in, in a vision for you, which I always listen in a recording. Uh, we spent a great deal of time talking about how to spread the word, how to help others, how to um, best present these ideas and this way of life to the next person, whether that person be a brand newcomer or somebody who, like me, was slowly losing the hope in the rooms of OA. So it is in our best interest to keep finding ways to talk to one another and explain this book and the process described in it to each other and to the newcomer. So um, if you've been in a vision for you for a little while, um, you know that um, there was this guy, Evie, who got sober with religion and, and as so that he could remain sober, he goes and talks to Bill, who was still drinking. He was sitting at his kitchen table with a bottle of, of gin. And so he was still drunk when he got the message, drunk and drinking. And, and Bill talks to Bob. So Bill, you know, he, he, stops, he talks to Evie. He gets this revolutionary idea of having his own personal custom-made higher power just for him and his problem. And, and he finds the way out. And then we know that every relapsed, but he died sober. So that's why Abby did, didn't get to be the founder of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then Bill goes, and out of his need, not because he had happy, joyous, and free, and just like great beaming, glowing with the higher power thing, because of his need to remain sober, he goes and he finds Dr. Bob. And um, so we read, and I believe that all the history that you need to know in order to recover is written in the big book. Of course, you can just knock yourself out and spend years learning the history of, of AA. But for practical purposes, everything is written in the big book. So in page 184, kind of in the middle, we um, we read that um, on June 26, 1935, 
um, where is that this is the story of Alcoholics Anonymous number three. So it's June 26, 1935. And Dr. Bogenbill come to talk to him. And, and, and that's the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous number three. So we know, because we read um, Dr. Bob's nightmare before that, that Dr. Bob was 16 days sober when Bill and Bob went to visit the third. Imagine that. Just imagine that. Nowadays we say, how many days? How, how, when did you start your process? Like, when did you put the food down? 60 days? Oh, you don't even talk to me. You're just still jittering. You don't, your brain doesn't work. Well, Dr. Bob was 16 days sober when he went to work with number three. I'm not picking this up. You just open your book to page 180. And, um, yeah, 180. Here it is. It says that in June 10 of 1935, that's the same year, that was my last drink. This is Dr. Bob speaking. As I write, nearly four years have passed. So, <coughs> Bob is 16 days over when he goes and talks to the third. Um, I just attended a, um, a retreat. I love retreats and, you know, workshops and everything that has to do with a big book. It says that, word says that when Bill Wilson told Bob, Dr. Bob, we're going to work with a, with a third one. He's in the hospital. Dr. Bob said, oh, no, he said, I'm not ready. And Bill said, neither am I, but we have to do it anyway. So if you're in the line with, you know, with your experience of recovery, reading the Bible for the first time, or like me, years and years and years in no way, not really knowing, understanding. We're not, even if you have been here for 35 years with beautiful recovery, sometimes I think that we're playing with fire, just like the caveman of the history, prehistory, discover fire and we're exploring with it. This is so powerful and so incredible and so new to the history of mankind that we really don't know what we're doing, but it works. We keep doing it because it works. So here's the thing. The book was not even written, and the process was working its magic already. I really come to believe that the experience of the first 100 surpasses anything that we can possibly imagine. We are in the land of mystery. We are in the fourth dimension, which is something that we can we cannot decode or explore or properly articulate. We just just like the collective experience right here right now in a vision for you is nothing short of miraculous. It's just it's not one miracle. It's a series of miracles. You're eligible for this miracle too. You will get well if you keep coming back. You will get better. You, this recovery will happen to you too. Your life will change in a way that you would never imagine. At my daily face-to-face -face meeting, because at the end I needed to drag myself to stop drinking, um, we are reminded constantly that there are no experts in the big book. There is not such a thing. There is not such an, there is not, there's not an expert in, in the big book. There's, we don't have experts in the 12 steps. There is not such a thing. I want, sometimes I go to a meeting in my local area when they only 250 people show up every Sunday morning. And if you want to celebrate your anniversary there, you have to have 40 years, 40 years of, of 
recovery of sobriety in AA, they are the most humble people in the world. And they will tell you, I don't know. Even people, I've met people who, whose grand sponsor was Zobiel, they're the most humble people in the world. The only thing that we have is our need to recover. That we have. We have the need to recover and our own limited experience in recovery. We pass it on and we work with others, not because we know better or that we, because we have some kind of hierarchy. We do it because if we don't, we're not going to survive. So that's why we become sponsors. And that was the spirit of Dr. Ball and um, um, Dr. Bob and Beale when they went to visit the third one. So there are many different ways to approach the big book. Many work. Nobody will ever become an expert. I'm thrilled that we'll have a panel of sponsorship people next week because you will see how there are many different ways and many work. What I have found in my very little, because when it comes to food, I'm a baby, I'll just shortly of three years old, old when having enjoyed this state of recovery. What I have found is that people who recover and remain abstinent and in a healthy um, weight are the ones who develop their own personal approach to work with others with the big book. So as I said, um, I don't believe that you need any extra workbook or smartphone app or fancy retreat or nothing. Um, if you never work the steps and if you're new to the program, um, I very much hope that you're not intimidated by the book and don't let anybody intimidate you. This is a very simple program. It, it started as a conversation between two drunks. How complicated can it be? This process is uniquely tailored and custom-made for people like us. So if you're here in the meeting and you honestly want to stop eating and find that you can't, no matter how you know about nutrition, no matter how, you, how fancy psychologists and therapists you have visited in your life, no matter how religious you are, this process and this book will work for you. I repeat myself, but it is very simple and it works. So that's what happened in 1940. Dr. Bob was 55 years old when he stopped drinking. And he lived, if you ask me, a very short life. He only lived 15 more years. In page 171, at the very beginning, that's where we, that's where we read this. In the beginning of Dr. Bob's nightmare, he was 55 years old, and 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 his 15 years of what was rest of his life, he worked with more than 5,000 alcoholic men and women. <clears throat> so 5,000 drunks in 15 years. If you do the math, that is more than one person a day. Imagine that one person a day, one new, different person every single day. So from this paragraph only, and also from the first parts, the first um, stories, the first personal stories of recovery, which um, are the stories of the pioneers, we learned, at least we learned the rhythm in which the steps were done back there and then. So the short answer to that question, how did the first 100 got recovered? because they took the steps, they were not even, they were in formation, right? There used to be six. We read that in one of the stories of, of the pioneers. They took the steps quickly 
and often. How quickly? In just one day. How often? Daily. So that's a tall order, right? Because sometimes we feel daunted. We we make things so complicated and so lengthy that that we say, gee, you know, I'll I'll stand in line for the next available sponsor for a vision for you and and she just take just one more and 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 then we before we know it, it's almost impossible. Recovery is unreachable, it's out of my hands, I can't do it. It's too complicated. It's just reserved for the few, 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 few. Well, I hope that we find out that that it's not. It's easy. It's doable. It's within our reach. So Dr. Paul would take a person through the steps in like four to six hours. And then that Ponzi and him will go to visit a third, as we learn in the, in the history of the third alcoholic. And by the end of the week, that Sponsee had experienced like the flow of the steps. It's like a dance, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight for the eight and nine for the immense, and then ten, eleven, and twelve, and do it again. And it was like a beautiful valse that worked. And then imagine that working with five people in one week. Imagine that instant connection and like how how amazing how. How incredible those early recoveries would have been that they attracted so many people. So, and this is more. Back there and then, people didn't have many books. And there was only one weekly meeting on Wednesdays at Dr. Bob's Kitchen. So, if you wanted to use a big book, you had to check it out on Wednesday and keep it for the week and return it to the, the next Wednesday so that other sponsor could use it for the week. So it is not a surprise that people memorized entire paragraphs of the book. I find that, that memorizing the words of the big book is so useful. I have the audio of the big book in my iPhone. And do you know that it takes five hours to listen through the whole 164 pages? Five hours. That's two movies and a half. Five hours to read the whole entire deal, no chapter submitted, including the family afterwards and to the wives and to the employers. The whole entire thing, from 1 to 164. It takes five hours if you listen to the audio. So imagine that. Here are the first ones. They don't have too many big books. They just have a few. They memorize paragraphs, and they go, and they, there are so many people standing in line, just like we have right now in a vision for you. 863 people are in the list, in the phone list. And I wonder, who do we really have what it takes? Do we have the passion and the fire to try to help as many people as we can? Today, I just have the joy. I believe in these things so strongly, not only because it happened to me, which is, you know, a miracle. It would, would have been enough. It would have been enough but because I have experienced the absolute incredible joy to pass it on successfully. And um, today I asked my very good friend, Jason, to help me with the meeting. And um, I met Jason four months ago on a Sunday like this in which I had the fortune to be the speaker. And he heard my share and he sent me a text. And we have been working the steps ever since. Um, Jason, are you here? Hi, Marcella. Can you hear me? I'm here. I hear you well. How are you, dear? I'm well, thank you. Do you want to introduce yourself and and share a little about you? Sure, sure. 
Uh, my name is Jason C. I'm in Pensacola, Florida. I uh, have been in OA for close on a year and joined or started attending the Vision for You Big Book Study uh, sometime around August of 2013. My abstinence date is October 10th, and so I've just finished uh, four months of abstinence. My top weight was 315. Uh, this morning I was 263 pounds. So, so how many pounds is that, uh, Jason? Uh, just shy of, uh, let's see, 45. Gosh, uh, I think just in the 50s somewhere. My, uh, it's it's a little early here. My my math isn't looking so well. So we just have 50 more to go, right? About that, yes. Yeah. Are you amazed at what's happening? If you were to describe what has happened to you in these four months, how would you say it, just in a few words? I think the number one thing that I notice, well, of course, there's there's weight loss, and um, and that's apparent. I'm, I'm wearing a smaller size clothing. And, uh, people are commenting on that. So there's, there's sort of this, uh, there's a physical component to it. But the number one thing, I think that I've noticed is that I'm not afraid. I used to have a lot of social anxiety, um, just a lot of anxiety, period. I would worry about the future. Uh, I would kind of live in the past in, in, in regret, or I would worry at living in the future. And I, I tend to live more in the moment, and I tend to be less fearful. And that seems to improve uh, daily. Okay, Jason. So um, I hope that you have something to give to work. Let, give me something to work with this morning. Um, well, I, I think that the sort of thing that's been bothering me lately, I'm, uh, I'm on vacation right now. I'm up in, uh, up in Utah visiting family in the mountains. And I arrived here on Friday, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of days before I was trying to leave. I had been working a lot, um, a, a lot of long hours and some particular stresses over at my office to be able to leave for this week. Um, and I found that I weigh myself daily, as, as you and I have agreed, to, um, to just to be able to maintain a lot of honesty in my recovery. And for the first time, I had two straight days before I left uh, where the scale had gone up and instead of down or even holding steady. And it, 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 it rattled me a little bit. But then when I got here to Utah, uh, I decided this time not to travel with my scale, and so I borrowed my mom's uh, Weight Watchers scale and put it down, and it even showed more weight gain. And, um, and I know scales can differ, but it, but it rattled me. It rattled me badly. And um, oh my God, Jason, I totally <laughs> understand you. Yeah. I understand you so well because. Gee, me too. I, my relationship with the scale has always been an awful one. It's not until recovery that I have found like a sane dialogue with my scale. So why don't we stop there? Because it seems that we have enough on the plate. And uh, will you walk with me the 12 steps of recovery? Happy to, yes. Okay, honey. So let's open our book to page 30. <clears throat> okay, I'm there. So why don't you read to me the first two paragraphs? Okay, page 30. Most of us 
have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it in, into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede in our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. Jason, I know. Thank you for being so patient with me because I know that we have read this like three million times already. But I'm going to ask you for real the fundamental question. I am going to, and I'm going to ask myself, are you ready and willing to admit that when it comes to food and our desire and our longing to control food, we lost the battle? I'm, I'm ready to admit it, yeah. I just I just cannot do this anymore. I right here, right now, I'm telling you, I'm powerless. I'm a real, real compulsive overeater. When it comes to food, forget it. I just I need a higher power. Mm. Mm. So why don't we turn to page forty seven, dear? Okay. And will you read to me the second paragraph? We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that, that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. Jason, so... We're not going to get into religious talks because our religious uh, backgrounds are really different, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> so why don't we agree that, um, why don't we appeal to the higher power that gather us together this morning? You and I don't know how many people are on the line right now, but let's let's just shelter ourselves under these bigger Thing, bigger energy that gather us together this morning and that let's join the collective wheel of a vision for you that only is only exists so that you and I and anybody who's listening can recover do you agree with me that that's a higher power than you and me uh, yeah, yeah definitely I did yeah that's a that's a higher power now, do you believe that, that I'm telling you the honest truth and the only reason I talk to you is because I want you to recover and get well? Yeah, I believe that. And I, do you believe in the goodwill of everybody who makes a vision for you possible? Yeah, it's, 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 it's clear from the, from the daily calls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How can you not believe these people that we hear in a vision for you? They're telling the truth. Well, have very good news. I met some of them in a retreat. I, I've seen their faces. They they look as they sound. These people are on fire. They really found something that keeps them abstinent and, and in recovery. I'm telling you the truth. Mm. Maybe one day mm. we'll meet you and I. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let's agree and let's 
emphatically assure ourselves and whoever is listening that we're on our way and we're going to build a beautiful and effective spiritual structure. And let's express humility um, thinking of this mystery that is much bigger than you and me together. Let's turn to page 63. Okay, 63, I am, I'm there. Will you read the prayer for me? Certainly. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Thank you, Jason. So here's the thing that is always useful for me to remember. The reason I'm relieved of the bondage of self and my horrible obsession with food and food behaviors is so that we will bear witness. Hopefully, Jason, dear, we're doing that right here, right now. We're bearing witness. Is that right, English? How do you say that in English? Uh, yeah, bearing witness. Yeah. So so that people who listen to us can believe themselves and join us. Is that a wonderful job to do on Sunday? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Now that you mentioned it, I think it's, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> now let me tell you, if three years ago you have told me, you're going to wake up early on a Sunday morning to talk about the big book and you'll feel happy, I would have said, you just shoot me already. Just shoot me. If that's my future, just shoot me already. Because uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. See? Okay, honey. So let's take let's take care of that uh, resentment. And let's go to page 66 and read the second paragraph. Okay. 66. All right. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to, futil- to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. Gee, this paragraph always gets me. So the reason that we have to get rid of the resentment is not so that we become comfortable, so that we don't die. So let's take this scale situation and let's treat it as a resentment. Do you want to do that? Sure, yeah. Okay, so we are resentful, and believe me, I'm resentful against your scale. Um, I am. <laughs> so I'll do this work with you. I'm resentful against your scale. What, describe your resentment in 15 words or less. Oh, that's a still a challenge for me. Let's see. Um, my resentment is uh, I feel like I'm being pulled over the cliff into the abyss, backwards clawing at the ground while watching the scale go up. I feel like I have no control over it. I'm going to become fatter again, more miserable, 
die alone. I mean, you know, just sort of all of those feelings put into uh, a 15-word sentence that I didn't quite achieve, but <laughs> that's the idea. I totally understand. You're a poet. Yeah, like, what did he say? Like, being pulled down? What do you say? Into the abyss? Yeah, you know right. what it reminds me of? It reminds me of what we read in page eight that Beale felt that, that quicksand was stretching from all over directions. Mm. It's kind of like a, like the same thing, like being swallowed by this disease, right? Mm. Being swallowed and being like, yeah, yeah. I totally understand your your resentment and the cause of your resentment because trust me that I've felt it. I've, I've been in your shoes. I know. Okay, so let's see. What does it affect? Does it affect your self-esteem? Yes, it, uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Does it affect your ambitions? Because it's so like encompassing for me. Yes, I just focus inward so much, uh, and the insanity starts to return that I don't really have time for my ambitions. So I guess the simple answer: yes. Yeah, and besides, I mean, there's such a thing as spiritual ambitions. So mm. even if it's just from the spiritual point of view, it affects your spiritual ambitions, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. So does it affect your pocketbook? Probably not. Not at this point, no. 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 Does it affect um, your relationships? Yes, because my tendency is I isolate, I withdraw, and I kind of become moody or broody about it. And um, So yeah, I withdraw from people. Yeah, that happens to me too. If I'm um, worried or preoccupied with my weight, I just cannot. I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not available. I'm just like in my own little black cloud, thinking of that two pounds that I've gained. Yeah, I totally relate to that. So, does it affect your sex relationships? Yes, for the same reasons. My personal ones, I withdraw, become unavailable, and uh, yeah. So, so yes. Yeah, that makes sense. It happens to me too. Okay, so this is a big, powerful resentment that we have here because I bet that it also gives you fear, right? Yes, yeah, it does. Yeah, I also have, I totally know the fear. The fear is that um, I will die alone, unwanted, rejected, and morbidly obese. Mm. Mm. That's the bottom line, right? Yeah, yeah. I that's, know. Uh, that's it. I know, honey. I know. Okay, so let's see our part on it. Let's ask the questions. How am I being selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, or fearful? Let's start with the fear, because the fear is a given. The fear is a really, it's given in the, the big book says every single resentment has a fear, which is the, 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 the how do you call it, the connective threat. Okay, so let's start with the fear. We just you just mentioned the fear. Well, uh, I think the fear is kind of what I said. Um, I, I'm I'm afraid that I will just lose control and, and you know and fall into relapse, even though I don't feel like I am. But the scales going up is like evidence of it, and that I'll be you know fat, alone, rejected, humiliated, defeated, just. This, like I said, the feeling that I, the way I experience it is that I feel like I'm being pulled you know, forcibly over a cliff, you know, along the, kind of clawing into the ground or something, and just trying to stop myself. But it's, but it's more powerful. So I'm just afraid that I'll totally lose control. Sure. 
So let's talk about the selfishness. Um, or whatever pops in your mind. What pops you first? The dishonesty, the self-seeking behavior, the selfishness? Tell me whatever you see. You know, from working with me, I guess the selfishness, I have to kind of define that. Um, it's kind of, uh, I translate the word, it's like, how is my view of reality faulty? And I guess um, one thing is uh, certainly changing scales. Um, now, I had thought up a little bit the two days before I traveled, but I, I think it's a new scale um, in a new place, and it, it just there's just variances in it. So, to mean, the fact that it had gone up a pound and a half or two was, I mean, I just don't think I was seeing things clearly. I, I was putting, in, and that might even be dishonesty. I'm not sure. I kind of sometimes mix up these, these turnarounds, but it's... Um, That's okay. That's okay. Everything it's a new, over that. Mm-hmm. It's a new scale. I mean, it, it, yeah. just, it just wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't my scale in the same exact spot in the bathroom floor as it normally sits and yeah. etc. Um, so I think that well, you're might like be... Me, I don't know about you, but at the very beginning when I started this process, I said to myself, this will work for everybody else, but not for me because I'm different. Because I'm just like different. I'm a Mexican Jew. How many of those do you know? It will work with everybody else, but not with me because I'm just, it's just, I'm terminally broken. I'm broken beyond repair. I'm just too complicated. It just won't work with me. Do you feel that sometimes? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think that might even be part of the dishonesty. I mean, like, I, I, I'm, yes, I, I feel that. I feel that um, I only started to believe, like, three months ago, not even the four of my abstinence, maybe three or two and a half months ago that this would actually work for me. I was just doing it because you told me to before, and then I slowly started to believe, my God, this is actually going to work for me. So I think that might be part of the fear that I was trying to describe earlier is that the losing that belief that this might work for, you know, for the rest of the folks that, that speak in this meeting, but maybe I'm just not good enough or not, I don't know, that's just not going to work for me. Yeah, terribly, yeah. So, uh, so, so you see, as we join a vision for you and this process, we become stronger. As we separate ourselves because we're so different, we become, we, we're swallowed by the disease. Mm. See? I think that we have enough. Um, uh, Jason, do you want to do step six and seven with me? Yes, please. Okay, so let's imagine, let's go to the, to page 17, six. 76, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm there. That we review the process. To the best of our ability, we're doing this honestly and thoroughly. It's not the very first time that we do it. We have done it three million times. So, so let's emphasize willingness as indispensable. Now, keep reading, baby, where it says the third line. Are we now? Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Okay, so I guess we're ready. Let's humbly ask our God to remove the fear and the intense need to be different. Is that... Is that would you agree on those on that wording? 
I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But I'm but I'm the one. But I'm the only one out of the all eight hundred of us that's like destined to fail. So yeah, yes. sure. I, yes, I yes. could buy into it, that. It's reverse yeah. narcissism. Yeah. Let's ask right. God to remove that from us. Okay. Will you read the prayer for me? My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. That is so beautiful. So I believe that this is possible, that I know that that this will happen to us, to you. It'll keep happening to me. It'll keep happening to you. Hopefully it'll happen to somebody who's listening on the line today. So let's make a quick list. Who do you think has been affected by this kind of behavior? Um, I know that you're with your wife and your two kids, your boys, and mm -hmm. your mom. My mom and dad are here yeah. as well. And dad. Well, that's a pretty good list, right? Wife, two boys, mom and dad. Mm -hmm. Of the people that probably had been affected by morbid preoccupation mm -hmm. with weight and weight loss. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to suggest... Um, this amend is written in page 127 in the family afterward. Actually, I think, Jason, that we've never read together. No we, part we have, no, we haven't. You're right. You're right. We have not. We have not because we skip it in a vision for you. But, but I was reading it with my group in AA, and I said, wow, I'm going to read this with Jason because we both can benefit from this paragraph. It's in, one pa in page 127, and it, it's a paragraph that begins since the home. Okay. Uh, I'll, you want to, to read that now? Yes, please. Okay. Since the home has suffered more than anything else, it is well that a man exert himself there. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. We know there are difficult wives and families, but the man who is getting over alcoholism must remember he did much to make them so. Do you like that as a plan for amends? Well, I do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand exactly how to apply it. So I'm not sure what the um, oh, unselfishness and love. Come on, Jason, don't be complicated <laughs> on me. Just be unselfish and express love. Okay. Well, it was, the, it, was the, it was the exert himself there uh, line that I was trying to figure out. It, yeah, I can handle the unselfishness and love, the, the exerting myself I wasn't quite sure about. Yeah, I, I can do that. So, so go to your children and tell them, how can I give you some love? Your children will say something. If you go to your mom and your dad, how can I, how can I give you some love today? And your wife maybe can, you know, take the chance to get some love from you, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so who doesn't like a little love from somebody who's recovered like us? Might it be fun? That's good. Okay, so let's fly through 10, 11, and 12, page 84. Okay. Um, so we did that. That's what we're doing, right? We're continuing to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, right? Mm -hmm. We just yes. did that. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them at once. We discuss them with someone immediately. I'm sorry that I dragged you to discuss your problems with, with 200 people, but 
I guess that pretty much everybody can identify with us. Then we resolutely, oh, this line, Jason, at the end of 84, at the end, um, the paragraph next to the last one, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Mm. Mm. See? That's the basis for step 12. We get to have a permanent spot in this party because we're supposed to help others. Mm. Okay. Right? Right. Let me ask you an honest question and tell me the honest truth. Do you, right here, right now, do you feel in a position of neutrality, safe and protective? Yes, I do. I do. Me too. I don't know how this is happening, but I yeah. I feel connected to you and to my sponsor and to my other sponsees and and to the whole vision for you and, and OA as a whole and AA as a whole and everybody who's trying to recover from an addiction. And I feel mm. safe and protected. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. That's wonderful. Jason, I cannot say enough. I know that sometimes I haven't been too nice to you, but <laughs> thank you so much for being so tolerant. <laughs> yeah. I hope that we can keep doing this thing together. I can't wait to see how your recovery keeps evolving and you'll be a fine, wonderful killer sponsor. I wish you many, many sponsors in your lifetime. Thank you, Marcella. Thanks for inviting me to be uh, to be part of this call this morning. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day, dear. Thank you. Bye. So that is for me, Leah. Do you want to take over now? Thank you so much, Marcella, and of course, Jason. What's thank Marcella's you. Number? Telephone one number. number. One one moment, please. We'll be giving out contact information very shortly. I thank you for your patience, and thank you, Marcella, and of course, Jason, for us offering us this morning a live demonstration of the clear step-by-step sequence for solving our problems of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And, of course, this is the same process that was laid out for us by those first 100 who had recovered. They were ex-problem drinkers. They wrote the clear-cut directions for us in the text that we study from every morning, known as the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and we, of course, lovingly referred to it as the big book. So thank you very much. Marcella and Jason. And let's take that moment right now, Marcella, if you'd like to offer your contact information, please, before we get started with the question and answer period. Marcella, thanks. Star one to unmute. Sorry about that. Um, it's 617. 617- Five zero one six two seven five, and I live in Boston. Thank you. And now we open the line oh, again. That number for Marcella six one seven 
5016275 for Marcella. She resides on the East Coast. And if you have any questions related to what was shared this morning, uh, this would be your opportunity to press star 1 to unmute. You can pose a question for Marcella. Hi, it's uh, Grace, and I have a question for Marcella. And wow, first of all, I just have to say thank you. What a blessing, this um, meeting and the share. And I love the interaction between you and Jason. That was beautiful. Thank you. And my question is, is I recently um, went through, um, again, for, you know, the, you know, I've done it many times, but it was deeper and more profound, my um, step study with a um, recovered um, um, sponsor, and um, you know, basically, when we had finished the um, the twelve steps, you know, she moved on to sponsor other people. And what do you suggest um, as far as working, especially a ten step, you know, an eleven step? You know, um, it, it, do you think it's important to have somebody that you're, you know, that you're you're doing a ten step with? Um, and, and you know, doing that nightly review and sharing it with somebody? Or do you think that's something that, that people can do on their own? Um, I kind of feel that, that, you know, I'm kind of on my own and, and maybe it would be a good idea to be accountable to somebody. I'm, I'm very good about the spot check, but tell me what your thoughts are about the nightly review and how to handle that um, ongoingly, please. Thank you. Well, that's a very good question. I, um, I, the way my experience is that um, if you just sponsor one person and then you become busy or taken by one sponsee with the 10 step, then that prevents you from sponsoring a new person, and that's not good for anybody. So what I do with my own life and my own recovery is that I have a circle of uh, very close friends we're we're always six or seven people that we are in contact every single day and in which I connect I see them in my face to face meetings and and so we know pretty much every day what's you know the latest episode of our personal soap opera and we are very comfortable with one another and we socialize so 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 there's a lot of support there that enables us to be free to keep recruit, to keep recruiting. That's what we call it. To keep spreading, right, the message. To keep sponsoring other people. So, so my suggestion would be sponsor like four or five people. Keep in contact with all of them, and then connect all of them. Like build a little web, a little web of people that know one another. Like Jason and I are connected to others as well. Um, people that I see face to face and people that I don't see face to face, and we're connected and we. We kind of send pictures to one another, and we're slowly becoming very good friends that are trusting and loving and supporting, and all of us are studying the big book. So so that'll be my suggestion to you. Thanks, Sarah Grace. Well, thank you. I just, want to, I just want to quickly say that wasn't exactly the question I was asking, but, but I love what you said, and it makes so much sense. I guess my question was, do you do an official or do you assess, uh, or do you suggest that somebody do an official 10-step 
with somebody when they get, when they do a nightly review and report that to somebody else, an accountability partner. Okay, so so yes, I did understand that part from the very beginning. I do believe that if you are opening the big book with another um, fellow sufferer from your same addiction, you are doing official step work. Now everybody does it differently. <laughs> So what makes a step official? The big book in between two addicts. That's what it makes official, if you ask me. That's my humble opinion. That's what it makes. Everybody oh, okay. I get it now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marcella. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Hi, Star Grace. Is... I didn't catch your name. Linda. Linda. Okay, yeah. go ahead with your question. Good morning. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everyone. I'm Linda, recovered sponsor in South Florida. Thank you, Marcella, and thank you, Jason, for a wonderful, wonderful example of working the steps through the big book. I just wanted to ask you a question regarding the scale, because when I first came into program, my vision sponsor suggested to me that I weighed in once and then weighed in monthly until I got down to, you know, a maintenance weight. And then, now that I was on maintenance, she suggested that I could get on weekly just to do my maintenance and check. Because I found in my past and in my sponsoring other people that the scale becomes an obsession. And if I'm up a pound, I'm insane. If I'm down a pound, I'm cocky. So I just wanted to ask you what's your reasoning behind having him get on every day. Thank you. Thank you so much for the question. That is a really good question. Um, when I first joined OA back in the 80s, there were all kinds of different ideas that we don't, um, I don't hear in the meetings as the official truth of OA anymore. Um, I remember think, I mean, hearing that we should never, ever, ever weigh ourselves, that we should go by size. And I read, I heard other people that once a month and then once a week. And then, and so it has been a long, long, long journey for me to develop a healthy conversation with my scale. So I'm just telling you my experience, what has worked for me. I know the feeling of standing 25 on the scale every day. I know that because I've done it. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've been there. Now, um, there are some people that go by size of jeans, but I'm not that tall. I'm five feet four. If I go by size, I'm uncomfortably like whistling in the dark for eight pounds, and I still think that I'm okay because my jeans still sort of fit. So for myself, I have found, um, and with the help of other people that do the same thing as we do, that um, we text each other our weight in the morning. And that's part of our prayer. As long as we are doing, we keep rigorously honest with our food intake, um, God will take care of the number. So so we text each other our, 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 our weight, and that is um, just to make sure that either we're keeping a healthy range, of whatever your fluctuation is, most, most people fluctuate two or three pounds, or if you're taller and, and larger, maybe four to five pounds. And um, and if you need to keep losing weight to make sure that we're walking in the right direction, right? 
So, so part of my recovery, when, that's what I mentioned at the beginning of my presentation, that my many obsessions, uh, my food-related obsessions, many obsessions, you know, my, my loathing, my despise for my looks and my image, no amount of human reassurance would say, Marcella, Marcella, you look okay. No amount of reassurance. God had to remove that loathing from me, and he did. He's doing it right now. The same thing with the scale. In my adult life, I had been over 200 pounds, less than 79. It was never the right number, never. It was, I would never step on the scale and say, thank you, God. Now I do. I walk in the morning. I weigh myself. When I'm really skinny, I weigh 132. When I'm really big, I weigh 135. And I wait, no matter where I am, I step on my scale, I text it to my little group of people that I completely trust. And and they say, God, I'll do my very best to be spiritual fit this day and to practice rigorous honesty with my food and you please take care of the number. So I I know Jason and I chose this kind of resentment to to um to play it with you to to, to to not to play it, but to play it as in a movie, to to share it with you guys, because I know that if you are in this meeting, you have suffered with a scale. I just know. So I just wish that you find your own way and, and that you find the way that works for you and and that you find success in, in passing it on and helping others. Thank you, Linda, for that question. Anyone else with a question related to what was shared this morning, the step-by-step sequence for relieving us of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Hi, this is Lori from New Jersey. I have a question. Hi, Lori. Go ahead. Hi. Okay, I called into the meeting about 10 minutes late, so I just wanted to, it's two questions, that every time you have a resentment, you kind of go through what Jason and Marcella went through, okay? And then... Also, if Marcella, I should have wrote down the page numbers that you, do you have a list of the page numbers you told Jason to read from? Um, okay, the first part of it, the, yeah, in dealing with resentments, there is a misconception of what step four is, that some people, I've heard some people that spend one year writing resentments, and then they read the whole entire 17 notebooks to somebody, and that's it. But um, what I think the big book says and conveys is that um, a fourth step is just the very first time that you practice this line of thinking. Like you have a resentment, something, an emotion that that becomes obsessive in your mind and draws you to excess of food and overeating. So the fourth step is the fourth and the fifth the fourth and the fifth, the sixth and seventh, it's always that we drill, that we do every day, just like the very first who recovered and whose success rate was so big at the beginning. And that's what, but what I really understand, that the first that recovered, there, a lot of people would get recovery at the very, very beginning. Why? Because they were doing this line of thinking constantly, constantly, constantly. Like Tom's presentation last week, he said, how often do you do your 10, 11, and 12? It was so directed. It was so, nothing was led to the imagination. How often do you do this? Every day, every day, 
every day. So when do we get to call this a fourth step? The first time that you did it, the first time that you walked this walk, after that everything is 10 steps, or whatever you want to do it. People say, I do a fourth step every year, or whatever. However, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the action of the spirit, the action of the will. And then the pages, I am going to humbly suggest to find your own. Find your, there are, the, the steps are written and hidden in the big book many, many, many times. By the time that you reach, they were written in Bill's his story, they were suggested in the, in the, in the doctor's opinion. They are, um, they are revealed in practice in the stories of how people recovered. I am going to humbly suggest you get your big book, read it with another person, and find the steps in the big book. Because the lines that talk to me maybe are not the ones that are going to touch your heart. Everybody is different in us. There are some words that are going to uniquely resonate with you that you will going to be able to memorize with no, no, not effortlessly. That's what happened to me. I, there are certain lines in the big book that are mine. They're part of who I am. They're part of the way that I think. And they're my unique custom-made ladder out of the obsession. I Thank hope you very much. Yeah. Thanks. Anyone else? Thank you, Lori, for the question. Anyone else uh, with a question? Yes, this is Amy. Hey, Amy. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for your share, Marcella. I greatly appreciate it. I, I just wanted to say, first off, thank you so much at the end, bringing it back to how we can then think about others and go about serving others because that's what I believe this program is about is getting out there and carrying the message. And you really made a clear picture of how in the beginning in order to stay sober, whether or not they were ready, they needed to get out there and carry this message of what they had even then. And, of course, at the end would going through the steps with a sponsee at step 12 to say how may we now think of another person because we need to learn how to think of others, you know, a God-centered program, God-centered thinking instead of self-centered thinking, which, you know, kills us. But my question to you is, you know, at the point that you were working with Jason, at one point you said when you were going to move on to step eight and nine that you think we have enough. And I, will, I wanted to ask you as a sponsor, from one sponsor to another, at what point in that process of working with Jason was it clear to you that you thought, okay, we have enough now, to move on, you know, enough honesty. He expressed his dishonesty, his his pride, his fear. Um, I think a lot of us get stuck with making sure, you know, we're ticking off everything and it's a list. But you didn't feel necessary to do that. You felt that you had enough to move on. And I guess I would like a little, uh, if you could elaborate a little bit on that and what clued you in on saying, okay, we're going to move forward now. Thank you so much. That is such a relevant question for us. Um, there are two answers to that one. The first one is that my sponsor, God bless her, my, my a vision for you, sponsor. So she was patient enough to hear my story that I was, you know, a, an alcoholic who goes to AA daily, who's in many different big book studies. So she was so clever, and she told me, I don't want to hear what you have told somebody else. Tell me something different. So resentment. So I was able to say resentments that were just uniquely directed to OA and and my 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 experience in OA, and it was short and efficient. 
The other thing is that um, the fourth step. I have seen many fourth steps in my alcoholic life, and there are two ways to miss it. One, if we spend too much time and make it too complicated, because if our survival is going to depend on our ability to pass it on, the more complicated that make the fourth step, the less efficient that you're going to be able to pass it on. So it, that's what I said it so many times. It's simple. It's simple. It's not deep philosophical dissertation. It's not like the latest approach of psychology. It's a conversation between two drunks. And the second part of the answer is that as soon as you see a pattern emerging, you know, my experience as a recovered um, compulsive overeater is that we're so predictable. Why we have the same, 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 same narrative that repeats itself over and over and over again. Some people master in self-pity, like me. Some people master in fear. Some people do a, a, a combination of fear and rage. Some people do a combination of shame and fear. And then we repeat ourselves till the end of the universe. As soon as we see a pattern emerging, we're ready to move to the next one. Why? Because everything that we think, our erratic thinking and our erratic decisions, are going to fall into the same pattern. So, granted, I've been working with Jason and I are close now because we listen to one another a lot. So, by the time he, I feel that he's repeating himself, I say, let's do something different because otherwise we will be spinning together, right? And what's the point of it? So, yeah, as soon as a pattern emerges, as soon as the pattern emerges, we're ready to move on. And then the second part is that if you have had experience in the 12-step, which many of us have, either in OA or in AA or in other fellowships, tell me something that you never told me before so that it, so that it feels efficient. I hope that that helps. Thanks, Amy, for the question. Yes, thank you. Thank you very, very much. Very helpful. I appreciate it. Anyone else with questions related yes. to what was shared this morning? Hi, who are you? Hi, this is Kim um, in Louisiana. Hi, Kim, Hi. go ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you. I wanted to, because I feel like I'm spinning my wheels sometimes, this particular line that you went over with Jason, he is on page 127. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. That just really just struck me so strongly because um, my children, they never do what I, no, I want to say never. They don't do what I want them to do. So I feel like I'm in constant selfishness because, um, and I, I, I get into this whole cycle of step 10 in terms of, okay, I do this, God, please remove, talk to somebody. Maybe I don't talk to somebody about it. Maybe that's the step I'm missing. But what happens is get out of it, make the amends, love, unselfishness, which means that I do do for them, I do service for them. And then I find myself back in the anger because they're not doing what I want them to do and I'm doing too much. And I just want some, I don't know, how do you get your sponsee or if somebody's in that cycle of unselfishness in their home? I mean, you know, you, I love my children. I adored my children. Can you just 
speak to that for me? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your question. I um, There are three chapters in the big book that I think are perfectly, um, they actually, the way that I was given the, the, the 12 steps, um, these chapters, we use them to design our amends to wives because um, when we read to wives, of course, to wives, you know, it shocks in the gender thing, but if you just say, if you if you replace the word wife for anybody who you are who cares for you anybody it could be even a friend it doesn't have to be a relative it doesn't have to be somebody that even lives under your same roof but anybody who's tied with you by bonds of affection and care and you see what you have done to your wife how you're compulsive how my compulsive overeating and my constant preoccupation with food intake and the impact of food in my body has done to others just by reading to wives you can very clearly see the kind of amends that you need to do then if you move forward in the chapters and and we read the family afterward it describes the impact that our recovery has in the family because we're not islands right we are our, our disease affected the people that we live with but our recovery also does and we are the ones who have the network and the support and the daily spiritual practice. Our families, for the most part, sometimes doesn't. And that inflicts another kind of pain into our families. So the family afterward is crucial to determine uh, the kind of amends that we're doing. And then finally, to employees, the employees, it's a mirror. In, in, to employers, we see how our addiction has affected the people that we have worked with or worked for. Now, that's one point of view. The other point of view is that once we're recovered, where, what, who or what is the source of our resentments? Surprise, surprise. The source of our resentments is our workplace, our families, and our significant other, the closest people to us, the people that we interact with daily. So I strongly encourage you to study those three chapters line by line and you will see how useful they are in our daily practice of the 12 steps. Kim, thank you for the question. Anyone else with a question this morning for Marcella? Hi, Esther. I hear Esther. I believe, who else did I hear? Did I hear Yeah. Julie? It's, who? No, it's, it's Mary Lou from California. Mary Lou. Esther, anybody else? Okay, let's start with that. Mary Lou and then Esther, please. Okay, Marcella, thank you so much for your presentation. It was so timely. Um, I just became recovered um, a few months ago, and it's been what the interaction between you and Jason was extremely helpful, and I thought I would highlight the, the aspect of the part that was helpful because I have struggled. I come from, um, anyway, from 15 years of weighted, measured, black and white abstinence without big book uh, recovery. And that was been a glorious experience because I have tasted uh, the clarity of physical recovery and abstinence from sugar, flour, and quantities. However, when I got introduced to Vision for You, um, I got recovered and it has happened to me and I get it now. I, my question is, when Jason was struggling with the idea of it happening for him, 
like this, I'm neutral around the food. I have been since October, all through the holidays. No sugar, no flour, no big quantities. I cannot believe it that the obsession is lifted. I really cannot believe it. I, it's, I really, like, and so what you said about being unique and, like, this can't happen for me. This really isn't happening, even though it's the thing I've wanted my whole life, and here it is. Uh, just me and a sponsor and the big book. Uh, didn't want to hear my food. Uh, he just didn't have time for that. He wanted me to give it to a newcomer if I needed to. Eventually, now I don't commit my food. I commit it to God. And it has been a struggle to trust that I can continue to stay recovered, to even be good enough to sponsor. This is BS. Now I know it's BS that I'm sponsoring the right way that I'm doing it the right way. And what you said about the official way <laughs> being me and sponsoring a big book, <laughs> that that sounds good. <laughs> but I really think that there's like something, the other shoe is going to drop, like the obsession is going to return. I cannot believe the neutrality and I cannot trust it because it's never happened for me before. But after I took the this, this steps, it has been lifted. And I just want, I guess my question is how, how to cultivate and nurture that trust in myself that I that this is happening for me, that the joy and neutrality, I, I don't care about food, I don't think about food, I eat it as gasoline for my body. Um, it, it is no longer higher power to me, um, and I cannot believe it. I truly cannot believe it. So I guess the question is how do I trust trust that this is real that isn't like going to be taken away from me um <laughs> anyway i just wanted i just wanted to say all that because i somehow think i'm terminally unique like this isn't really happening oh my goodness uh, the big book has come alive every word means life to me now um but it's been difficult because i come from a background of uh where it was mainly about food plan and weight loss um and meeting attendance and tools, all these externals where that sponsor was going to come and save and rescue me by hearing my food, um, and he's going to or she's going to tell me what to do and give me direct, so it was an outer directed recovery as opposed to an inner experience of the process of recovery through the steps of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's just a whole new island. It's a whole new world, and I just am having a hard time grasping and trusting that this is really going to stay and last with me. This is real, the neutrality. This is real, the grown-up responsibility I'm taking for my own recovery instead of being outer dependent on some person to come along and tell me what to do. Please save me, rescue me. Well, now the steps have rescued me. And I swear I took the steps and they took me. And I woke up and it was gone. After a lot of weeping, <laughs> Thank it you, was gone. Thank you, Mary Lou, for the question. Okay. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Well, Mary Lou, I can hear how how new this experience is to you, but and I completely identify. Um, the the short answer to that is that that's why the program is daily, and that's what I in the midst of our conversation. And for a while, while I was talking to Jason, I forgot that we were on live live with everybody. And that's what I asked him: Do you feel safe and protected right now as we're speaking? Because we have to reactivate the magic every day, every day, every day. So the answer is, how often do we take the steps? Daily. Quickly and daily, quickly and daily. So until it becomes a, a very 
certain way out of the effects of the disease. So congratulations on your new experience. I know at the very beginning when I woke up and I was not hungry, I was like, whoa, whatever happened to me? I don't really know that we know what happens to us because some people call it the grace of God. Maybe those, that's the close, and we will really don't know what the grace of God really means. So it's a mystery. I just say, just surrender to the mystery and the beauty that we have been granted. And let's not take it for granted. Thank you, Mary Lou, for the question. And let's go to Esther. Esther, you'll be the last question for this morning. Thank you. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Marcella. Thank you so much for your presentation. I found it very useful, and I'm I'm grateful to you for that. I had um, two questions. I'll just ask them together. Um, Two things that I did not hear addressed in what um, the presentation you did with Jason. And the first is, um, you know, in terms of a relationship with a higher power, I I always understood that my job is to bring um, a sponsee to the understanding that it's in their relationship with their higher power where they will find serenity and security, and in, in Jason's particular example, the fact that the numbers on a scale, you know, have the power to destabilize him, the work that you did in finding the character defects was excellent, but I didn't hear, and it could be that I missed it, mention of this dishonesty and believing that the numbers on the scale are going to provide us, you know, with security, but 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 in an actual fact, it's our relationship with our higher power where we, you know, find serenity. And the second thing is, is once you know, all that spiritual work has been done, sometimes there is a need for some type of action, you know, in addition to helping others. And and if one sees the numbers on the scale go consistently higher, perhaps it's time for an audit of one's food plan. So I, I didn't hear that mentioned either. So I don't know if it's because it was out of, you know, the context of what you wanted to present. Um, but if you could address those two points. Thank you. Um, what's, what's your name again? Esther. Esther, Esther, that, I, I'm just so grateful for you. And thank you so much for taking the time to put that together and paying so much attention to track sound. That's what we need one another. I do believe, and that's exactly what I mean. Nobody's an expert on the big book and nobody's an expert on the 12 steps. And there is not such a thing as the right sponsor. We are here just to help one another. But thank you so much. And I I'll, I'll call Jason and tell him, I bet that he's still on the line. Jason, did you hear that? We need to figure out why is the scale saying things differently. And also, whatever your experience of higher power is, which I know that you have one, it's not a, it's not a religious experience. It's an experience of a loving energy that gathers us together and is keeping on this track. That's what gives us this, the experience of safe and neutrality and thank you so much that's where we need one another and we all of us need together and all of our inputs are valuable thank you so much yes thank you Esther for those questions this morning very pertinent questions that were asked thank you to all who asked questions this morning and of course thank you Marcella and with uh, your your uh, willing helper there, Jason, for giving a live demonstration of the clear step-by-step sequence for solving our problems of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, the way the first 100 
who had recovered did, and of course uh, wrote those insights and their experiences in a book we call The Big Book, which we study every morning here on A Vision for You. So thank you. Again, a reminder to all that we stand in unity on uh, the big book and its directions. So um, appreciate all your help this morning, Marcella and Jason. And I'm going to thank you. Many, many thanks to you. And I'm going to close this morning's vision for you, special edition, with the way we always close our morning meetings, and that's from page 164 in the big book. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.